So uh, how, how good is this, huh? What, what depth and breadth we've got across all of our locations. No matter where you go, the worship is just world-class, absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's so good to be back. I think the last time I was here was kind of one of those early in the year months, maybe around February or something like that. But this is the first time that I get to be here in the building that we have bought. So, ooh, it feels different. Don't know what it is. But uh, what, congratulations, C3 Silverwater, on really an exceptional job of just uh, giving and being perseverers. And, of course, to uh, Pastor Hartley and Nat on, on just going into prayer until we saw this come to pass. Here we are in the geographical center of Sydney. There is no small dream that God has for this congregation in this place, accessible to everyone in this great metropolis. And, and what a great congregation, so multiracial, multicultural. It's like a snapshot of Sydney right here, because right here is God's people to reach this great city. So, you know, really exciting. You know, I, I, I'm not just saying those things. I genuinely feel that there is an extraordinary call upon this congregation to impact this city. And it's, it's just awesome that over the years that Amanda and I have had the opportunity and the privilege to be a part at different times of this great congregation. Uh, Amanda, uh, not with us this morning, obviously, but she sends her love and her greeting uh, she was at Penrith last weekend, and we're about to do a bit of a travel season, so she thought if she didn't go to the 10 a.m. service at Oxford Falls, people would be wondering if she's still on the earth. So she uh, is, is there this morning, making sure that she's seeing a bunch of the people that we pastor and uh, doing connecting and all of that. Uh, it's a great day for our church in this city. I think it was just, was it last weekend that our Bankstown service had over a hundred people. Uh, our other services that we've started in Avalon and Manly, uh, Warunga, are all growing, all making an impact. And you know, it's a really interesting thing is that, you know, a lot of these services, of course, are smaller in size than, say, this one here. But the number of visitors and the number of people meeting Jesus is like out of all proportion for the size of the service. So it's a really amazing growth and soul-winning strategy that God's given us. And so I suspect that uh, we've not stopped on our starting of new services. What do you think, Silverwater? We've got a few more of those up our sleeve, don't we? And uh, the care services that you are doing as well, uh, you're really, Silverwater's really our leader in care services. And uh, at Oxford Falls, we just go, hang on a minute, what's Carly doing now? All right, we want some of them. Carly, can we have some of them? And so Carly's helped us to kick some off as well. And I've no doubt that the CASA, the, the, CASA, the care services, sort of like the Carly service almost, I should have called it, the, the care services are a part of our way of showing this city that we do love and that we do have the, the heart of God for this city, which is a brilliant, brilliant thing. So did you notice in the uh, news that there is a baptism coming up in a few weeks? This morning's message across our services is in a way like a preparation for that. 
that if you've never been baptized, to start thinking about today preparing for that and to make a decision and say, I'm in, I'm going to do it. Baptism, I still remember when I was a young believer, uh, I had grown up in the church and I had grown up being a religious guy, but not someone who knew Jesus. So I was kind of sprinkled a bit as a baby, but I hadn't really made as a baby any decision to follow Jesus. But when I was 15 and I came to Christ, I really wanted my life to count. And so I remember in the middle of winter at D.Y. Pool being baptized. It was freezing, but I didn't care. And it was, the, and the whole significance of baptism is that as you go under the water, you're saying, I'm dying to my old life and me being the boss. And when you come out of the water, you're saying, I'm alive to Jesus being my Lord and the new life that I have in Him. And if you've not done that before, let me encourage you, sign up, prepare, and go for it. And so in preparation for that, whether we've been baptized or whether that's something we're going to do over this weekend, we're looking at the whole area, the whole topic of no turning back. Are you ready for some no turning back today? Looking at no turning back. And the way that I want to do that this morning is to look at two groups that were present around Jesus. When you read the Gospels, you'll see these two groups. They're often mentioned. You'll hear about this crew that are called the disciples. And the disciples, and they're, they're an extraordinary group of people. Disciple comes from the word discipline. And these are those people who are disciplined to serve Christ. They've disciplined their life to be a follower of Jesus. They've made a discipline of their life that they want to become more like Jesus and that they want to know Him more over time. And as time goes on that they're doing this journey. That's the disciples. But we didn't just see disciples around Jesus. If you read the Gospels, there's also this other crew that were pretty well everywhere He went and they were called the crowd. The crowd, well, were they disciplined? Not really. Did they have a heart to follow Jesus? Well, it doesn't really say that. It just says that they were, well, they were there. What I want to look at this morning for us together to grab a hold of is how we can do a journey from the crowd to being a disciple and to never, ever return. No turning back. Are you ready for that this morning? Let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, we commit this time to you right now. God, that we are not just meeting with some man, we're not just hearing a nice message, but this morning would be a time of encounter with the living God. And Father, wherever we are at today, that your spirit would speak to us and that this would be a fresh start, a new day, that we walk the walk of a disciple. And no matter what challenge we face, no matter what is on the landscape of life, that we would never, ever return to the crowd. We ask it 
in the name of Jesus. If you agree with that, say amen this morning. Amen. amen. Okay, I'll just get a little bit of this. Mm. It's a lovely uh, Parramatta River vintage. Mm. 2015 Parramatta River. Nice. Uh, does anybody here enjoy watching a good movie? Who enjoys watching a good movie? Does anybody here in, in your part of watching a good movie is to have a look at the credits and see who did what, particularly if there was an actor and the whole time it's just bothering you because you've seen them somewhere else and you're trying to work, where did I see them? I mean, if it really bothers me, I just stop the movie and I start looking them up on Google to work out where I've seen them. Uh, but if I'm being patient, I'll wait to the end and I'll let the credits roll and I'll see uh, you know, who did what. And, and, and I'm always amazed, maybe if you're in the film industry, one day I need to be enlightened about this, but I'm always amazed at the names of the roles of people that do stuff in films, like the weirdest names. You'll be, it'll go through the lead roles and then through the, the, the you know, some of the lesser roles, and then you'll start coming up to these things like best boy. And you go, what on earth is a best boy? And you think of someone with a bow tie and a smile, and every time they look at you, a little twinkle goes on their teeth because they're the best boy. Uh, and then there's another one I like, Dolly Grip. The Dolly, you just think of some guy, and he's just got Barbie, and he's just squeezing her, and there's grip. Uh, the, uh, I love the gaffer. The gaffer, I just imagine some guy, it's like a super deacon. The gaffer is a super deacon. They walk around, they've got a thick belt, they've just got keys hanging off, and around here somewhere they've got gaff tape. Let me just fix something, and they want to gaff it up. So all these really weird names, stunts, we know about stunts. And uh, then we've got, there's this list, and it's a really long list, and it's the extras. And I always look at that, it's a huge, and depending on the, the, the movie, it could be a huge list, like a battle scene or some massive crowd scene. But it's an interesting name, isn't it? Extra. It's sort of like, well, non-core. Um, if they weren't there, doesn't really matter. The show will go on if somebody doesn't turn up. You know, I, I think of um, some of my favorite battle scenes. Uh, does anybody here enjoy Braveheart? Some of the scenes there. Imagine if you're one of the extras in one of those battle scenes and you're, you're telling your dad about it. You know, Father, I was, I, was in, I was in Braveheart. Son, were you? What were you? I was, I was one, of the, uh, one of the Scottish in one of those beautiful big battle scenes. Were you, son? What did you do? Well, you know the scene where, where all of the Scots, they had their kilts on and they bared their bottoms to the English. I was the 333rd bottom. I'm proud of your son, well done. Wouldn't have been the same without that bottom. It's like, it's, 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 of course you do need all of the extras, but if one's not there, it's, it's, the show would still go on. Now, one of the things that really motivates me is to continue to be aware and mindful of and to understand the reality that this life we've got on earth is really the bit that's not real compared to the eternity that we live forever. And 
I very much doubt that this is going to happen, but sometimes I imagine, I wonder if when God says, and this is something he will do one day, right? The time is coming when he is going to say, that's it. I'm calling an end to all of history. The old heavens, the old earth is going to pass away. Behold, I'm doing a new thing and this world's going to pass away. He's going to start to create a new heavens and a new earth. His salvation that he's doing on the earth, well, the time for that's going to be done. And those who have accepted Jesus will go to be with him forever. And I've wondered about what would it be like if when Jesus wraps up all of history, if the credits would begin to roll. The credits of history. Well, what's it going to say? Producer, director, God. And then it's going to have the main actor, the hero, the one without whom there is no salvation history. Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then it's going to have listed all of those who lived for Jesus. All of those people that we've read about in the Bible, the names that are famous, but also a whole lot of names that are not so famous. Maybe people like you and I, who have just decided to live as a disciple, that our life would make a difference for him. And the credits are rolling, those who made a difference in salvation history, and then maybe it'll have the stuntmen and the stuntwomen. They're those that lived in dangerous situations. I reckon that's C3 Africa. Some of our our guys there are pretty hardcore and living in dangerous situations, but they're pleased to live for Jesus in those situations because it's bringing the gospel. And then it'll have the extras. And it'll be this huge list. And they will be people that actually went to church. They were there. They saw God do amazing stuff. They saw the disciples living down their life for Jesus. But they got themselves not so much into a participator mode, but a spectator mode. And so they were extra to the core stuff that God was doing. Now, to me, the extras are like the crowd in Jesus' time. The people that are there but aren't involving themselves and laying their life down for the God purposes that are going on around them. So, let's have a look at the crowd and being a disciple And to look at some areas that were common to both, but the areas that distinguished them. Both disciples and the crowd saw or even experienced miracles. Is that true? Right? Crowd saw some amazing miracles. They They marveled at the miracles of God. Both disciples and the crowd heard his teaching and were astonished at his authority. Often the crowd would say stuff like, how is it that he's saying stuff like that without having all of the learning of the Pharisees and the scribes? They were amazed at his authority. Both disciples and the crowd marveled at his works. They'd see him cast out demons. They'd see him bring healings, and they marveled at those things. But only disciples are recorded as having built the kingdom. 
only disciples are recorded as having made disciples of others. Only disciples are recorded as building the church or being used by God for His eternal purposes. Now, with regard to the crowd, Jesus provided for them. He had compassion on them. He healed the crowd. He taught the crowd. So it's not like we go, okay, so we've got people that have decided to be disciples, but for the crowd, I'm sorry, you're going to miss out on all the good stuff. Jesus met the needs of the crowd. He got into their world. He showed them the love of God. And it's the same for you and I, that we continue as far as it's up to us to minister the love and the goodness of God to everyone in the hope that that would cause them to make a decision to walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ. The interesting thing is that there were times when Jesus, it's almost like you see him at a point where he got over the crowd. Uh, verse 8, 18, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. It's like, guys, all you're doing is trying to suck stuff out of me. I want someone who's going to be on my team doing the stuff that I'm doing and doing the work that I am here to do. And so when he wanted to be with the crew that would empower him and, and who would, would uh, build his batteries and get him going, he would hang out with disciples. So could I get you now to turn, please, to John chapter 6. We're going to get into it. John 6. And in John 6, what we're going to do, it's a large chapter. But what we're going to do is a bit of a journey through. Not going to look at the whole lot, but journey through and look at what happens as the cost of discipleship increases. And we can see what goes on here is discipleship and its, and its cost increases and the decisions that people make and the impact that that has upon their journey with God. So, John chapter 6, verse 1, the first thing that we see happening is that there's this huge crowd around Jesus. Verse 1, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Why is the crowd there? They'd seen the signs. They're seeing amazing stuff. And they are about to see something that's going to blow their mind. Because at the beginning of John chapter 6, they see the feeding of the 5,000. Now, that was the number of guys there. So you could probably say that there was about 5,000 women, maybe 5,000 kids. We know that kids were there because the miracle is done with a little boy's lunchbox that his mum gave him with some fish and some bread. And so we've probably got at least 15,000 people, but it's a remote place. And when the disciples say, Jesus, what are we going to do? He says, you feed them. Now, can you imagine being the crowd in this situation. The way to read the Bible, don't read it like you know the end of the story. 
read it like you're in the middle of it so that you can experience what's going on. I mean, I've, I've been reading the Bible now since 1978, so I've read it a few times and I do know the end of the stories. But when I immerse myself in it and I go, what was it like for the crowd? What was it like for the disciples? This situation would have been extraordinary. Imagine being there. And then the disciples are coming around to you and they're going, we want you to sit here. We want a group of people here. And you're going, okay, what's going on? Sounds like they're going to try and feed everyone. How much food are they? How are they going to do this? This is amazing. Now we've seen Jesus do some extraordinary stuff. What's he going to do this time? And then you see a little group of people and there's a little boy there and Jesus is blessing a few small loaves and fish. You're going, oh, this... This is looking a bit pathetic, really. I would have hoped that maybe that there was a bit more organization here, a little bit more food. But um, hey, we have seen Jesus do some awesome stuff. So what's he going to do? And then as you sit there, one of the disciples comes in the direction of where you're seated. And you're a little bit concerned because there's a whole lot of people in front of you. You're thinking, well, I might just move up towards the front here. I can't. There's too big a crowd. Oh, well, I, I just hope he doesn't run out by the time he gets to me. And yet by the time he gets to you, the food, the fish, the bread comes. He says, do you want more? Yeah, look, I wouldn't mind a bit more. And so he gives you all that you need. In fact, so much that there's more than enough for you to eat. So you can't eat it all. You know, it's a little bit of, um, our eyes are a little bit bigger than our belly. And we go, yeah, I'd like to have a bit more than that. But we can't quite get it through. Later on, they come through and they collect 12 basketfuls that is left over, and the crowd is just going nuts. Did you see it? How incredible. Jesus is amazing, and everybody is just vibing, and everybody is just smiling, and everybody's high-fiving. <coughs> and they are amazed at what they've seen. The crowd loves it. Now, if the crowd loved that, can you imagine how amazed they would have been at what happens next? Because the next thing that happens, actually, just before we go to the next thing, just look at what uh, the crowd says after they saw the feeding of the 5,000 in verse 14. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world, right? They're, they're saying, you're, you're the one the Bible talked about. Next, something extraordinary, one of the most famous miracles in the entire Bible, and it is when Jesus walks on water. Now, can you imagine what the crowd, if the crowd thought it was amazing in the feeding of the 5,000, what would they have done if they saw the walking on water? They would have gone nuts, right? But they didn't see it because this one was only for the disciples, the only ones who saw Jesus walking on water were his disciples. Now, this is something I've discovered, C3 Silverwater. When you live your life as a disciple of Jesus, you get like a ringside view. You get a front row view of what Jesus is doing in the world. You see him working. You see the amazing things he's doing. 
And what I've also discovered is that when people are just rocking up as spectators rather than participators, the very thing that they've come to look at, it's almost like a whole lot of it is hidden from their view. I saw this in a really powerful way some years ago. It was a long-term member of our church, came up to me after a service. And I'd just been in the service, and, and look, it was a great service. The worship was amazing. And, and it was worship like this morning where you felt like, wow, I just experienced the presence of God. And the Word of God was preached, and it was encouraging, and it did us good. And then once the Word of God was preached, Pastor Phil gave people an opportunity to meet Jesus, and a number of people there and then that day came into relationship with Jesus. I'm looking at this thinking, it doesn't get much better. And then after the service, I'm feeling like I'm fed, I'm ready to go and serve the Lord. And this long-term church member came up to me and said, Pat, is this all there is to it? I mean, I come week in, week out, same old, same old. We worship, we got the message, we give out... Is this all there is to it? And I'm thinking, were we just in the same meeting? And I realized what the difference was. The difference was that if we come as a disciple, you see God move and you always see Him move. You see Him heal. You see Him set free. You see Him always at work in the lives of people because He is at work through us. But if we come as a spectator sort of with our arms folded, just checking out what's going on, then after a while, we begin to just get blasé about what we're seeing because we are not one of the ones that God's doing it through. Disciples get a front row view of what Jesus is doing. Then, as we go on a little bit further to verse 35... Flip over to verse 35. Jesus begins to say a few things that are a bit difficult to understand. Anybody else here find that there's some things that Jesus says that are difficult to understand? I do. Right? I, there's some things I go, I have no idea what you are talking about, Jesus. I, I do a lot of my uh, reading of the Gospels with my iPad next to me where I, I just, what did Jesus mean by, and trying to work it out. Well, this is one of those things. He says something difficult, and if you go to verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Then in verse 38, he says, for I have come down from heaven. And people start getting upset with him about this, and in verse 41, it says, at this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. There will be things in our walk with Jesus that are going to be difficult to understand. If you've not experienced that yet, it's just a matter of time. His ways are higher than our ways as the heavens are above the earth. There is going to be things that our limited understanding are not going to get. And many of the people of Jesus' time were going, what on earth, bread of life? That's a strange thing to say. 
What's the, is that like the, 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 the kebab of life? Is that, what, what on earth are you talking about, Jesus? What, what is this? And then that I've come down out of heaven, they're getting a bit upset with that because only God can do that come down out of heaven stuff, so they're getting upset with him. But then he really goes. I mean, <clears throat> that was difficult enough, but look at what he says next. Go now to verse 53. Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Oh, Jesus, what are you talking about? I mean, that's out there. We get it because we're looking back with New Testament eyes. But at the time, this is one of those really, really difficult ones. It's not just difficult to understand. This time, he's getting into the realm of offensive. And people are like, oh, Jesus, you know, the, the miracles, that's nice. I like a good miracle, Jesus. The healings, I love the healings, Jesus. Uh, when you do an awesome thing, I love the, that's awesome when you do an awesome thing, Jesus. But could you please not say things that are difficult to understand? And for heaven's sake, don't say offensive stuff. It's really hard. Now, if you go to verse 60, look at what happens. On hearing it, Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then if you go, um, and then he says, verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Go down to verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Did you notice who's turned away? Was it the crowd or was it another crew? This time it says disciples, doesn't it? So it wasn't just crowd. This tells us that there are thresholds in life where we've got to make a decision to keep going as a disciple. There's thresholds where it will seem that the cost is more than we were bargaining for. It might seem that there's something that I... I just don't get it, God. I don't understand this. It could be a place where there is offense. Offense is one of these ones that is really challenging. There is these thresholds that come up. And like the disciples of this time, we might be going along going, I'm living for Jesus, I'm serving you, and we get to this threshold and we've got a decision to make. What I want to encourage each one of us today is make the decision before we even get to one of these points. It's what I call a predetermined decision. It's not I'm going along through life and then I hit an offense. What am I going to do? Am I going to keep serving in the church or am I going to go off into offense land? Am I going to forgive 
and get through it and do what a disciple of Jesus does? Or am I going to allow this thing to grab my heart and to sidetrack me? Am I going to hit this threshold? The journey of a disciple is to get over that thing and to keep going. Or am I going to hit this threshold and at that point divert from the journey of a disciple back to the crowd? Because brothers and sisters, we've all seen people do it and who are right now back in the crowd. They might even be coming to church, but on the inside, hands are folded. They've assumed the position of a spectator, not a participator, and life's going by, and they've become an extra to the great plan of Jesus' salvation, which he's working out in this city, instead of being a disciple. Offense can do it. Lack of understanding can do it. I reckon one of the big ones is disappointment. Now, one day we wake up and we think, I never dreamt nor imagined that it would have turned out like this. I'm disappointed. And I'm just going to sit back in the disappointment chair. And the disappointment chair is not a great place to view life from because it's a low place and it's a passive place and it's a place where life happens and it might happen to you or not happen to you or be fair or unfair or offensive or non-offensive or whatever because it's just this passive place where we sit back. Or we can say, God, I don't quite get why this turned out this way, but I know you and you're good and I'm going to keep going on this journey and I'm going to keep doing the journey of a disciple. I am not going to divert back to the crowd. Another one's discouragement. When we hit discouragement, that that can be the thing. Discouragement, you know, it doesn't sound like a really bad deal, but it is. It's one, I believe, along with offense, I reckon discouragement is one of the main things that the devil will use against us. It, discouragement, it's, it's when we had hoped that something would happen and it doesn't, and it's, it, the word gives us a good hint of what happens, discourage, our courage departs us, and so does energy and passion and all those things that enable us to win in life. Someone who's discouraged, it's like the disappointment chair, the discouragement chair is not a great place to dwell. But God is calling us in these times to have already made a predetermined decision so that when we hit it, instead of letting the difficulty of the moment determine what we're going to do, we go, you know what? This is not fun right now. You know what? This, this offense is a challenging thing, but I've already made my decision and I decided a long time ago, no matter how many times I'm offended, I will forgive. Like Peter and Jesus, when they were having that chat in the Gospels, and Peter said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, I'm telling you, seven times, 70 times, seven being the number of completeness. In other words, as many times as it takes, as many times as you're offended or as many times as you do video replay of the offense in your mind and your heart and that we've already made the decision so that no offense ever 
takes us out, but that we keep on doing the journey of a disciple. I think one of the saddest things for me as a pastor is when I see someone who have got such potential in life to serve Jesus and to, to shine for Him, and they've been taken out by offense. And I must admit that as I read the Bible, I can see no biblical reason or excuse for a disciple of Jesus allowing offense to get a foothold in their life. And when we make that predetermined decision, do you know what? We've got all of the power of heaven to help us forgive and to help us to overcome. Because you might think, Pat, you don't know what happened to me. Well, some offenses, I tell you what, this is a lot easier to speak about than to actually do when you're in the middle of it. I know. Because People can do things inadvertently that are pretty bad. Sometimes they can do things that seem like it doesn't respect us. And sometimes people can do things that are just downright nasty in our direction and intentional. And you might think, well, that was nasty and it's intentional. And how are you saying to me just to let them get away with it? No. Give them into the hands of the living God. Pray blessing upon them and get on with life. We can get bitter or we can get better. <clears throat> Speaking to someone about this recently, and they're saying, Pat, you don't know what they did to me. How can I just let them get away with it? If I, if I stop, if I stop, if I just forgive and, and let them get, how can I do that? And I said to this person, you know what? Not forgiving someone and hoping that it will get them is like drinking poison and hoping it'll kill someone else. The only one who's suffering now is you. And so these predetermined decisions that you and I make about all of these areas so that we're going through life and we hit disappointment and we don't go, okay, diverting. We just go, I know what you are. I've already made a decision about you. I'm not stopping I'm carrying on, and I'm going to take my disappointment to Christ, and he's going to turn this disappointment into his appointment, because that's what he does. So how can you and I make sure that we position ourselves as disciples and continue to do this journey of a disciple? Right, three things. Write these in your notes. If you keep doing this, you will keep doing the journey of a disciple and not go back to the crowd. First, the crowd takes, disciples give. The crowd takes, disciples give. The crowd says, give me a sign, give me a miracle, meet my needs. Make my life work. Answer my prayers. Give me purpose. Fulfill my vision. Now, you know what? Those things are actually all cool and we can bring it to God as long as there is a bottom line prayer which goes something like, God, I'm here and I'm yours. And that's the bottom line. I'm here as a giver. The best, most exciting, awesome lives are the lives of a giver. When we turn up to church looking for, God, 
who can I encourage today? When we go to work going, God, uh, who is there at my workplace that I can bring a word, an encouragement, an act of service? I can be the answer to the thing that they are facing right now. It changes everything. If you're thinking, you know, I'm a bit overworked, just wake up tomorrow morning and pray, God, I'm on mission for you at work. Help me to be a giver at work today and see how things change. The crowd takes, disciples give and are a part of the answer. Second, the crowd's purpose is to build their own life. The disciples' purpose is to build the kingdom. For the crowd, Jesus is seen as he's one who can give me meaning and he can complete me. For a disciple, Jesus is seen as Lord. Now, probably the most powerful, I guess, negative example I've ever seen of this was with uh, someone that Amanda and I was, was uh, in this person's life, disciple-making for a period of time. This was our accountant. And we would go to our annual meeting to get our tax return prepared. And uh, what we did for many years is just shared about the Lord. In fact, uh, our account was very interested. Just, okay, so you guys are pastors. What's that all about? What do you do? Um, what happens at church? And so we just began to share. And, and, it, was, and it was a wonderful journey. Uh, Amanda invited this lady to come to a women's conference. And she accepted Christ. Uh, then started coming to a connect group. And then faced a really, really full-on challenge got some really bad news that uh, she had ovarian cancer. And what was really full on about that is that ovarian cancer can be difficult to detect and so can be difficult to treat once it's detected. So we said to her, you know what, come to our healing service. Now, we didn't have anyone as famous as Brett Lindner at our healing service at that time. I mean, t seriously, C3 Silverwater, if you need prayer or know someone who needs prayer for healing, get them to one of the meetings with Brett and also let Brett impart to you a gift of healing so wherever you are, you're bringing healing. This, it's an extraordinary ministry. And so uh, we had our Sunday healing meeting and we asked this lady to come. And she came and got prayer and got her situation checked out and had been completely, totally, absolutely, wonderfully, and miraculously healed to this day. And that was like eight years ago at this stage, completely healed. And then she left the church because Jesus gave her the thing that she was looking for. So it was a crowd way of relating to Christ. It was the meet my need, not that I'm here to live a life to your glory, Lord Jesus. And the final thing, how do we make sure that we keep following Jesus as a disciple and not revert to the crowd? Write this one down. The crowd follows Jesus based on convenience. Disciples follow Jesus based on conviction. 
The crowd follows Jesus based on convenience. Disciples follow Jesus based on conviction. This is a big deal, and I reckon we've got to watch it as time goes on. You know, I still remember as a young man at the youth group just going, Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm in. And I just was out every night of the week doing something serving Jesus, and then I got married, and then I had kids, and then I had a job that made me a bit tired, and it seemed like after a while, it's like, Jesus, I'm in for anything that's convenient, I tell you. Anything that's not too full on, I'm so there. And I've just, I've noticed, it's just the way of our flesh, that as time goes on, we can little by little go towards convenience. I'm in as long as the cost is not too high. I'm in as long as it doesn't take too much of my time. I'm in as long as it doesn't take too much sacrificial giving. And we, we, we don't say that like I just said it. We never would. But on the inside, that's the new uh, like rule that we are using for whether we are going to be serving and living that life as a disciple. Uh, John Kirkby. You've, uh, have you had John Kirkby preach here because of, of the CAP centers that, that uh, are run through C3 Silverwater? And John Kirkby is the founder of CAP, Christians Against Poverty, uh, and a, a really an extraordinary ministry that uh, sets people free from debt that they don't think they could ever get out of. And John tells the story of what it's like for many Christians, whereby um, God says to us, what sort of life do you want to live? What sort of, of dream do you have for the days you've got on the earth? What sort of thing on the inside do you think about when you think, what sort of, of life by the time you go to be with Jesus forever in heaven, what sort of life you would have liked to have lived to his glory. And John says, you know what, God just says, dream it and go for it because if you want it, you can have it. It's like going into a supermarket and as you go down the aisle, there's all of these great lives on the aisle that make a difference for Jesus. And you're walking down and you've got your trolley and you're walking down, and on this side, it might be um, a life that impacts many young people for Jesus. And you go, wow, I'd love that. That'd be awesome. Imagine doing that. Okay, and you, you take it off, and you stick it in your trolley. You might be going a little bit further down, and it's uh, a life that, that shines the glory of Christ in your neighborhood, and, and your neighbors come to know Jesus, and you think, That'd be brilliant. I love one of them. And you take that and you put it in the trolley. And it can be a whatever that in your field of work that you are preeminent to the glory of God, that you are a boss who is able to bring Christ to the lives of people in your work, that you are someone who makes a difference in the community. It can be a whatever, a whatever, the spark that God's put inside us and that God is... God is saying yes to it because the dream 
to make a difference, it didn't just come from some random place. It came from the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus and out of a relationship with him come dreams to make a difference. And that we then take our trolley up to the checkout and we stick it all on the checkout and they start ringing up the price. You go, oh, it's a pretty big dream, isn't it? And they ring the price and you look at the price and you go, oh. and then they put that other dream up and you go, oh. and John Kirkby reckons that most believers leave those dreams at the checkout when they see the price. The most extraordinary thing that a man or a woman who knows Jesus can do is to decide ahead of time that when the price gets a bit more, even if at that time I've got to go and talk to Jesus and I've got to gulp hard and it's a bit full on, I am going to talk to Jesus and I am going to gulp hard because I'm not going to let the cost of following Jesus cause me to revert to the crowd. I am going to keep on that journey, living for Him to His glory. So, when the credits roll for all of history, when Jesus says, I'm wrapping it all up, and it begins to say, who made a difference on the planet? And it goes down to C3 Silverwater, it's saying, this church and the people of this church shined a light to the glory of God in the city of Sydney. There was so much hurt and need in that city, but my people at Silverwater, whom I positioned in the geographic center of that city, lived in such a way to bring hope and to bring life and to bring the glory of God to that place. And when their services were done and they went back to their neighborhoods and their communities and they got up and went to work on a Monday morning, they didn't just go to work, they went on mission and on purpose as a disciple of mine, knowing that the lives of men and women were hanging in the balance and were of account and that they took many people on a relationship, on, on a journey of relationship with me and that, that these are the things that are written on the credits when the credits roll for all of history. How am I, I don't want to be listed as the crowd and I've made decisions so that that's not going to happen. And my challenge to us today is that will we make a choice this day to be one who continues to do the journey of a disciple, no turning back. Could I ask everybody just to close their eyes as we finish our service this morning? And just while everybody's eyes are closed, I want to ask a really important question this morning. If you are here today and you have never before asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I've been talking this morning about being a disciple, but you've never made that initial decision 
that a disciple makes, which is where they say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want to give my life to you. Well, if you've never done that before, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to put your hand up and to say, Pat, I want you to pray for me that I might come to know Jesus. Or maybe you have done that and you did that some time ago, but you feel like you might have gone in a direction where you're distant now to Jesus and you're not walking with Him, but in response to this message today, you're saying, Jesus, I'm coming back. Well, if that's you today, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity as well to lift your hand up and to receive prayer. Or if today I was to ask you, what would happen if this week you were to die? You were to leave this planet, this, this time on earth, and you were to go to eternity. Do you know for sure that you would be with Jesus in heaven? And if you answer that by going, well, well, I'm not sure, I hope so. Today you can know so. If you're thinking, well, I, I, I think so. Today you can have certainty in your heart. And so in just a moment, I'll give you an opportunity as well to lift your hand so that I can pray for you and that you can know that you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord. So just while everybody's eyes are closed, if that's you today and you want to meet Jesus for the first time, or you're saying, Jesus, I'm coming back, or you're saying, I want to know for sure that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I will go to be with Him in heaven forever. If that's you, be brave, stick your hand in the air and say, Pat, I want you to pray for me this morning. Just lift your hand and I'll acknowledge that. Thank you, I see your hand. That's wonderful, you can put it down. Who else is there this morning who would like to receive prayer for one of those things? You might be here thinking, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing to put my hand up. I didn't really come to do this this morning. Can I encourage you that this is the last thing to feel embarrassed about? It's the best possible thing that you can ever do in your life. So if that is you this morning, you and maybe your heart's beating on the inside, and you're thinking, I think that's me. I need to put my hand up. Can I encourage you? Do it. Lift your hand. And just in these last few moments, I will acknowledge your hand, and I will pray for you in just a moment. Thank you, Lord. Mighty God. Thank you. I see your hand. That's awesome. Well done. Who else is there? Thank you, Lord. Mighty God. Could I ask everyone just to look this way? In these last couple of moments, we're going to do something really super important. And I'm just going to ask uh, those people who put their hand up just to do something really brave. And to, I'm just going to come down here and I'm going to pray with you. And maybe even just come out with a friend or a family member and they'll stand with you and support you. And I'm going to ask everyone to stand and to support you as you come. So that uh, young person over there, this lady here, let's come and meet me just down the front and we're going to pray. Yeah, yeah, come on out, buddy. Fantastic. So good. Come on, let's put our hands together, C3 Silverwater. Just, just look this way. It's really good. What's your name? to meet you. And what's your name, young man? Lachlan. Fantastic. Just come forward over here, guys. And you can look this way. Don't worry about looking at all this crew over there. Just turn around. Look in this direction. That's it. 
I'm going to lead you both in a prayer. I'll pray it. And what I want you to do is just pray it after me, but just make it from your heart. Do you know it's really amazing when you pray to Jesus from the heart? He hears what you say, and he says, yes and amen. What you've asked for, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to ask everybody here. And we've got Champion, have you come down for prayer as well? What's your name? Nathan. David. David, really good to have you here. So you say this prayer after me as well, okay? And I'm going to ask everybody here, pray this prayer in support of these guys that have come out. Just close your eyes. Just say this, Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus, that he died for me to take my sin, that I might know you. Forgive me. Be my Lord and my Savior. From now on, I live for you. Thank you, Jesus, that today I am saved. In the name of Jesus, Father, right now, filled and anointed and enabled to follow Jesus all of the days of their life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, why don't we just put our hands together? Hey, congratulations, that's awesome. Well done, well done. And there's someone right here just behind you who's gonna talk to you about continuing to follow the Lord and they'll give you a Bible and some cool stuff like that. Well done, just go with them right now. Now, one final thing we need to do, if this morning, you're wanting to make a predetermined decision and you're wanting to make a predetermined decision that whenever you hit one of these thresholds that you're going to keep doing the journey of a disciple and not turn back to the crowd if that's you then I want you just where you are to close your eyes lift your hands say God today I am making the predetermined decision to be a disciple Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you today. And we thank you that you have saved us, that you've given us life, that you've given us eternity, and that you have given us every gift richly to enjoy. Today, we make a decision right here in this place that whether offense comes or not, we're following you. That if disappointment is there on the landscape, we're still following you. That if there is discouragement, we're seeking you and we're pushing through. If there is a cost, if there is something which is inconvenient and difficult, God, we don't care, we're following you because all of our days we're going to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is our prayer. That is our decision. That is what we're doing today. In the name of Jesus, why don't we put our hands together and thank Him this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, C3 Silverwater, it's been my honor and pleasure to be with you this morning. And uh, God bless you. Have an absolutely brilliant day. Thank you. What an awesome message. Why don't we give it up for Pastor Pat? No turning back.